Today we are going to do one of the smallest books of the Bible and that is the book of prophet Obadiah. It's only one chapter or you can say it's just 21 verses and I think it qualifies to be the, the smallest book in the Bible. We only know that the, the, prophet, the title of the book says the prophecy of Obadiah, son of Pethuel. Who is Obadiah and who is Pethuel? It simply says Obadiah, I'm sorry. This is a word, the vision that our sovereign Lord revealed to Obadiah concerning the land of Edom. It is not about Pethuel at all. I'm sorry about that comment. So this is Obadiah. Obadiah is one of the shortest, smallest books, just having 21 verses. We don't know anything more about this man called Obadiah. How old was he? Where is he from? Nothing. Obadiah means the servant of Yahweh. Obed Yehovah. That is Obadiah means servant of Yahweh. We know another famous Obadiah in the Bible who lived in the 9th century during the days of Ahab, King Ahab. He makes a, a cameo appearance in the book. Actually, when, uh, Ahab and uh, Obadiah uh, went out to seek fodder for their animals. Obadiah was a Yahweh worshipper and he hid the prophets of Yahweh in a in some caves and fed them. But that is what we find in uh, 1 Kings 18, 3 to 16. But this prophet Obadiah is not that Obadiah because the period of prophecy, the ministry are two very different. This is actually in the 6th century. The date of the book, I just mentioned, but let me explain that is uh, somewhere between 586 to 553 BC and uh, we normally suggest that this book is written around 570 BC. <coughs> there are various reasons for assigning a date between 586 and 553 BC. First of all, according to verse 11, uh, according to verse 11 of this book, Jerusalem, Jerusalem is already fallen or destroyed. So, that destruction of Jerusalem happened in 586. So, it must be after that event. Let me read uh, verse 11. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you are like one of them. So this is about the destruction of Jerusalem. So that is why this the fall of Jerusalem is a past event. So five, it is after 586. At the same time, we have clues that because the whole content of this book is uh, tells us that Edom is still standing. It is not fallen. Uh, so it is before the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, Edom by Babylonians in 553. 
in 553 that is 35 years after 35 years after the fall of jerusalem the babylonians turned against edom and edom was attacked in 553 so according to this prophecy edom is still a nation it is not attacked it is not destroyed so it should be before 553 and uh, a intelligent guess is to say that this is soon after the fall of jerusalem in 586 and uh, before the fall of edom that is why we assign it a date around 570 bc and the place of writing is considered assumed to be jerusalem because it could not be any city in the north or any other place uh, but only jerusalem so he was one of the remnants left behind there is no clue of babylon here he so he was not one of the exiles like uh, like ezekiel uh, so it should be jerusalem now this is basically if you we will see soon uh, it's a prophecy against edom there are three themes that runs through this first of all edom and its other enemies of god will face retributive judgment for their action against the people of god second the people of god will be restored but the unique thing is the third theme that is it concludes with a promise of the kingdom of god that's very unique but we know the other two themes that is the restoration of the people of god we saw it in joel we saw it in isaiah we saw it in uh, jeremiah we saw it in ezekiel and all that even in amos uh, that is basically and also condemnation of the people but condemnation of edomites also have come in number of passages either in isaiah and wherever all the enemies of and especially in a very succinct manner it's captured in psalm 137 verse 7 oh lord psalms 137 7 oh lord remember what the edomites did on the day the armies of babylon captured jerusalem destroyed they yelled leveled it to the ground this is what the edomites did so the prophets all prophets have condemnation of edomites because edomites actually they colluded with the babylonians to destroy jerusalem and uh, but this book obadiah is very unique because though the other prophets condemn other nations along with uh, edom is one of the nations that god is going to punish for their wicked action against god's people but obadiah is exclusively about the edomites the punishment of edomites for colluding with babylon now so the first thing uh, if i repeat let me, let me repeat again edom and their enemies other enemies of god's people will have will face judgment for their action the second thing as we so common with other thing is that god's people will be restored 
and the book ends with the promise of the kingdom of God. Now let us dive deep into this book. Verses 1 to 4, the first four verses. It's a first announcement of warning to Edom. I hope you by now you know the historical background. As I repeated many, many times in the other classes, that in 586, the Edomites joined the Babylonians to, or facilitated the destruction of Jerusalem. And that may be probably providing them a route or joining their army or in the looting uh, the people. And we will see what they did soon. Uh, they killed the fugitives, people who were running. You know, they had to run south through Edomite territory. So they might have killed the people. The first verses, first verse clarifies that this oracle is against uh, Edom. It says that the Lord has organized a worldwide army against Edom. An alliance. It's not an, it cannot be an alliance. It's uh, the whole nations in the world are against. So that is why verse 1 says, rise up. Let us rise against her for a battle. So this is the decision of many nations to rise against Edom. It happened in 553. And then in verses 2 to 4, it talks about, it's about the, it's, it addresses Edom. That uh, three, four verses addresses Edom. That in 12 to 3, 13 verses, the offense of the Edomites were that they gloated over Judah. That is, they rejoiced when Judah was destroyed, the people were killed. And in 2 to 4, verses 2 to 4, it says that for the, that crime, the nations will gloat over Edom. Now, Edom is situated in the mountainous regions in the southeast, uh, part of present Saudi Arabia was once Edom. Not all of Saudi Arabia, but the southern, southwest end of present Saudi Arabia, which is a mountainous region, I think bordering the Red Sea, is part of Edom. And also could be the southern part of uh, present Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan, including the Red City called Petra. They, they, were, they thought they are very secure because of their elevation. The land, their country was situated in the mountainous region. So they thought that they are secure. In the ancient world when there were no missiles or uh, aeroplanes, fighter planes and all that. If the city is in a higher altitude, which is even chariots cannot go up. So they, they, they usually there is a natural protection because of elevation. It is very formidable for the army. But this says that in spite of this natural security they feel or the advantage of geography, the topography you can say that they have, God 
will definitely bring them down. Verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground. Now that is the pride of Edom. So they said that we are safe here. Nobody can uh, attack us. Nobody can uh, uh, invade us. But God speaks. He said, I will bring you down in spite of this natural security that you feel. And in verse 4, it says, Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. That is that uh, however secure you feel, however safe you feel, I will bring you down. Uh, there is a, a humorous anecdote to this. Uh, my father read the Bible from cover to cover many times a day, in a day, after his retirement particularly. Uh, he didn't read anything else. So, he knew all the Bible verses, almost all the book and its contents by heart. And he always believed in a literal translation. So, the day um, Neil Armstrong landed on moon, I think it was something like 50 years ago, uh, I was, there was no mobile phones those days. So, my father was coming from office. So, I went halfway uh, to meet him. Uh, from he he, he 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 was coming by the local bus so from the to the bus stop and uh, i was i was probably 16 14 16 year old boy that time so i told my father see today he also knows that that uh, man has landed on the moon and immediately my father quoted obadiah 4 and he said no, they will have to come down. They cannot live there. I said, why? So he said, it is in the Bible. So I said, where? So he said, Abadaya 4, verse 4. So that was this verse. Though you soar aloft like the eagle, and interestingly, I think the carrier that they used was called eagle. Uh, American, that, uh, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. The it was called eagle. Oh, so he said it is eagle is the symbol or emblem of America. So even American. So he said. So he's he found fulfillment in the man landing and coming down. And you know that I think my father was right in that because there was no second landing later. I think or man did not go there to live. So far they haven't planned to live there. So this was, but that was not the meaning of this was. The meaning, it is a metaphorical saying, but my father took it into air. Yeah. But whenever I read Abadaya, I think of my father. Though it is almost 16 years now that he has gone to be with the Lord. Let me read it again. Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is among the stars, you know, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So he says that uh, Adam will definitely be punished for what they did. <coughs> Moreover, in a next small section, that is verses 5 to 7, Abadiah says 
that their destruction will be total. The destruction will be total. And then he uses an analogy that is in 5 to 6. He says, if harvesters and thieves, even the harvesters harvest a land, they leave something behind, some gleanings behind. When a thief enters a house or whatever it is, he will not rob everything. He will leave something. But the attackers of Edom, when they attack Edom, they will not leave anything behind. They will wipe her dry in the sense that she will be destroyed completely. So look, look at verse 5 to 6. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed? Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If great gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. Now, so there is a destruction that is complete. Edom betrayed his own brother. See this is a major theme. Why why the, the sin of Edom is not pardonable? The sin of Edom is not pardonable because they forgot the kindred relationship, the fraternal relationship. In the biblical traditions, Edom are the descendants of Esau. That is the brother of Jacob. But, so there is a kindred, and we can see that also in the Exodus journey that they were, they were asked, they, they thought, we will pass through by our brothers, don't steal anything, pay for whatever water you drink and food you take from them, and all that. So that relationship was there, but they ignored that. They ignored that their brothers, the brothers from once, father and mother, same father and mother. So, in the same way, just as the sons of Esau, that is Edomites, they ignored or overlooked their brotherly relationship with Judah, their nation, the other nation. Her allies, the allies of Edom will also ignore that, betray her. Just That's a retributive justice. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Uh, retribution. Now verse 7 says, All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set up a trap, trap beneath you. You have no understanding. So this is the plot, the conspiracy of the nations against Edom. And their sin is that they did not value their relationship, kindred fraternity, fraternal relationship with Judah or Jacob. So this is why this uh, passage, this book continues to call the country of Judah, the nation of Judah, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. And Edomites are called most of the time Esau, brother Esau. Now, 
chapter sorry verse 8 to 15 talks about the is about the announcement of judgment accusation and warning to edom the first thing or or i can say one thing that uh, obadiah picks out is that that the wise men of edom the wise men of edom had come in other passages also uh, edom will be annihilated uh, let me read uh, 1 8 to 9 verses 8 to 9 will i not on that day the day of judgment declares the lord destroy the wise men out of edom and understanding out of mount esau and these are all synonyms for edom the country of edom and your mighty men shall be dismayed o teman so that every man from mount esau will be cut off by slaughter now the men of east that is edomites or the area of edomites are considered to be are known for reputed for their wisdom in the book of job for example which is considered to be a wisdom writing the book of job itself is situated in around edom or east arabia and teman is the grandson of esau later teman became a country or a city state or something like that So if you read Job chapter 2 the the all the three wise friends of Job came from the east and one of them Eliphaz is identified as a man who came from Teman Eliphaz the Temanite So one of the pride of Edom was its wisdom the knowledge it is a knowledge capital of the world in those days but god says this is where i am going to strike i will destroy the wise men out of edom and understanding out of mount esau so what was their sin because see we have to read that very very carefully in order to get the gravity of the why to understand the angst of obadiah the anchor of obadiah against edomites verses 10 to 11 specifically zeroes down on their crime their offense because of the violence done to your brother jacob see obadiah uses language of family language the fraternity language of fraternity not political language here he is not saying judah he says your brother jacob which implies that you are not supposed to do that because you are supposed to show kindness your brother because of the violence i am reading verse 10 and 11 because of the violence done to your brother jacob shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever on the day that you stood aloof on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for jerusalem you were like one of them that is why i said edomites colluded with them the possibility is that the babylonian army attacked jerusalem from the south 
the southern route. They might have taken the southern route. So when they took the southern route, the the Edomites might have joined the Babylonian army as mercenaries, and they might have attacked the joint army of Babylonians and Edomites, and maybe other nations as well. And verse twelve continues to expand it, but they 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 did not sympathize. but they gloated over their misfortune they rejoiced in their misfortune of the people of judah verse 12 but do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune do not rejoice over the people of judah in the day of your ruin do not boast in the day of their distress they not only gloated over misfortune of judah but they also took advantage of their misfortune by killing and by looting and killing the fugitives when the people of people when the people of judah were in turmoil confusion and they were uh, uh, faced attack from babylonians the edomites instead of helping them they took advantage verse 13 and 14 <coughs> do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity do not gloat over the see this is as if it is not happen but this is uh, what we call the prophetic tenses where it's describing uh, something that is already happened in the present do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives you know this is very cruel the people who are running fleeing from the destruction babylonians were killing people so they took their baggages and left the country but at the road junctions crossroads the edomites stood and they killed the poor fugitives running away with whatever little belongings and their babies and all that now that is what uh, we see in uh, psalm 137 as well and do not hand over his survivors in the day of his distress now this is the this is the indictment against the edomites but over there says this is what you did and this is what you deserve now what is that you deserve judgment so verses 15 to 16 describes the day of the lord the edomites are warned to discontinue their cruelty because the day of the lord which is a day of judgment so if prophecy of this obadiah was written in 570 bc 16 years after the destruction fall of jerusalem the we can assume that the edomites continue to take advantage of the weakened nation people who have become poor vulnerable houses living in a city which is fallen completely destroyed without a temple their houses are destroyed so probably this is a warning to edomites to stop their atrocities because there's a day of judgment against them so verse 15 16 says for the day of the lord is near upon all nations 
as you have done it shall be done to you your deeds shall return on your head for as you have drunk on my holy mountain so shall all the nations shall drink continually they shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been that means just as the nations you joined the babylonians to destroy jerusalem judah and jerusalem other nations will come and will suck you dry that is god's judgment justice now with that jobadaya moves on to something else that is the restoration and victory of israel in the next two verses so to sum up all that we said so far it's a indictment against edom for their the crime injustice they did to the people of god and that is described and the mainly they did not they did gave no value to the fact that they are historically to brotherly nations they ignored that and then he says that there is a day of judgment coming for you that is the nations will come against you just as it will return to your lap they will return to your lap what you did to judah then the next few verses as i said we move to the second theme that is a theme of a promise of restoration and victory to the people of god verse 17 says but in mount sion there shall be but see verse 16 says edomites will be destroyed and now the but says but for the my people god says in mount sion there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy and the house of jacob shall possess their own possessions not now a day is coming we can see this promise this hope in other prophets also we have done so many prophetic books so far so we can see the theme is recurring the recurring theme and we have seen the same thing in isaiah we have seen seen the same thing in ezekiel we have say, seen the same thing in uh, uh, jeremiah that is a restoration of his people in various ways and the people of judah will be strong very strong to retaliate against their oppressors especially in this case the edomites it is a scenario where the villain the victim will become the villain and it uses and in describing that obadiah uses the metaphor of wild fire now judah is weak the houses are demolished they live in the open country they are poor the fields are not producing anything they are slaves they have a heavy taxation but they will become strong as fire to retaliate against their enemies verse 18 the house of jacob shall be a fire and the house of joseph a flame just talking about the the people of god in symbolic language and the house of esau will be a stubble like hay dry hay grass 
they shall burn them and consume them. That is, Judah and Israel will consume them. And there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So that's very sure. The, word, the formula the Lord has spoken is found in the prophetic books to affirm the truth of that statement. It is not a human word. It is a word from God. With that, we come to the last two verses, which is the crown of this book, I would say. Here is the vision of the kingdom of God. That is the restoration of Yahweh's kingship. Let me read those two verses. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau. Negev is the southern part of the of Israel. Negev. Presently it is under the control of Egyptians. After the Camp David Accord. So that's close. That's on the boundaries. The border, They have a common border with the Edomites. In those days. And those of the Shephela. Shall possess the land of the Philistines. The Philistines Pentapolis. Was on the west south. In an area called Shephela. That's a place. The, the geographical name of that area. So another enemy of Israelites, Judah, people of Judah or people of Israel was Philistines. And they have a border with Israel on the southwest area. We need to know some little bit of uh, biblical geography. So Philistines will be dominated by people of Shephelah. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead, that is north, uh, northern part. The excels of these hosts, host of these people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites. Canaanites, as far as Sarafat. Sarafat is the border of Tyre and Sidon, which is present in Lebanon on the northern side. So they will also come under the rule of this. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of Negev again. Saviors shall go to the Mount of Zion to rule, rule Mount Esau. That is people from Jerusalem will go to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. That's the end of that section. That is the end of the book. The book ends with this statement. The kingdom shall be the Lord's. That means the rule of God through the people of God. The people of God will rule neighboring nations, dominate the neighboring nations. Not only Edom, Philistines, the Canaanites and the Sidonians and who else are mentioned here. All around the neighbors, they will dominate their neighbors. And thus, as they dominate, the rule of God will be, the kingdom will belong to the Lord. So the Lord of Lord will rule these nations through his people. But, see, the hyperbole in this, the exaggeration, 
indicate that this is not a literal political restoration but this is of what you can say messianic proportions not to be achieved politically now actually the description of this that reminds us of restoration of the kingdom of david when david became king over the 12 tribes he controlled philistines he controlled edomites he controlled ammonites he controlled moabites he controlled the sidonians and all that canaanites definitely so that was the davidic empire and god had promised that the there will be a the davidic empire which was lost after it was fragmented after solomon's days during his days of rahoboam finally this pathetic state that were they are now at the mercy of the babylonians and edomites and the neighboring countries this situation will be reversed and the davidic kingdom will be established again but the it seems it is not actually about a political physical restoration but it's it's just, it is about a spiritual restoration which is definitely political in the sense a spiritual in the sense it is not just god ruling the hearts of people but it's also god taking control of the whole affairs of the world so the punch of this book is in the last verse here the kingdom shall be lords and this reminds us of what happens in the book of revelation after the seventh trumpet is blown in the book of revelation chapter 11 verse 15 to 19 i think i have to read all the four verses we see the consummation of history that is every kingdom of this world will be subsumed under the kingdom of our lord let me read this to you please read it with me because it's very important if you have your bibles verse 15 revelation 11 then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven and says the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our lord and of his christ and he shall reign for ever and ever and verse 16 and the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before god fell on their faces and they worshiped god saying we give thanks to you o lord and there is this doxology till for the next two verses so what is obadiah talking about what's the relevance of the book of obadiah obadiah looks at the defeat the shame of the people of god and their brothers who deepened their pain aggravated their misery and obadiah says look this is not the end of the story god is going to pay you back return to your lap many times for what you did against your people 
or in other words abadeya is saying no defeat is forever the abadeya must have faced the humiliation by the babylonians probably he was present there if the book was written in 570 or even a year before 553 before babylonians destroyed edom abadeya was probably if he was uh, 40 years old he must have lived through this isn't it or even 50 years old as young as that so they did not go isom iso or edomites did not to help them but they but but they colluded with their destroyers but abadeya believes in god that that is not the end of the story abadeya can look at the houses that are pulled down the fields that are made sterile by uh, salted or the heavy tribute that they have to pay the pain and suffering that they have to go there may be mothers who are still grieving the the, uh, the death of their sons and daughters or loss of their husbands but looking at see the book of lamentations would picture that when we come to the book of lamentations if you do that will picture the pain but in the context of the pain obadaya god has revealed to obadaya that that is not the end of the story god has a day god will wipe the scoreboards clean now it is advantage hero but that is not the end of the story the scoreboard says 0 10 or something like that the judah is 0 and adam has won against them but obadaya's faith won't obadaya refuses to settle with that score he says no the game should will go on and ultimately people of god will win god will win and all the nations will be under the lordship of god obadiah could only see that but john the beloved disciple after his patmos experience in the patmos island after that he could see the rest of obadiah that is all the nations all the kingdoms all the authorities will become completely subsumed under the lordship and the rule of christ wait the obadiah and the revelation would say wait till god's battle is over before you declare the winner that's what obadiah has for us even now the church in various parts of the world the church of god church of jesus christ goes through immense struggles problems pain and persecution but for them obadiah has a message go through it because that is not the end of the story finally the last laugh it belongs to our god that is what this in 21 verses a very powerful message is delivered by hosea i hope this helps you and uh, this observer book becomes meaningful to all of us god bless us